year back. One thing we enjoyed doing uh, some years back was uh, taking excerpts from the Bulwer-Lytton contest held in San Jose every year. They would print up some of the best selections in the book titled Dark and Stormy Night. And I have to admit, some people were very creative in coming up with the worst opening sentence for a novel. Let's give you a few of our favorites. Edmund waited, Edmund waited, then immediately waited again. And the camel died quite suddenly on the second day. And Selina fretted sulkily and buffeting her already impeccable nails, pondered snidely if this would dissolve into vignettes of inconvenience like other holidays spent with Basil. One of my personal favorites. Oh, hell, groaned the Contessa, who up to that point had shown no interest in the conversation. How about, how about from a hypothetical detective novel? She was stacked like a fat man's plate in a one-time-through smorgasbord, so I grabbed a dish and followed in her wake. And what was the top choice in one year? I'm not sure what year that was, but it did win. With the countdown stalled at T-minus 69 seconds when Desiree, the first female ape to go up in space, winked at me slyly and pouted her thick, rubbery lips unmistakably. The first of many such advances during what would prove to be the longest and most memorable space voyage of my career. Here's one we're very fond of. Dakota Tribal Wisdom says that when you discover you're riding a dead horse, the best strategy is to dismount. However, in the business world, other strategies are usually tried. One, hire consultants to revive the horse. Two, appoint a committee to study the horse. Three, arrange a visit to other sites to see how they ride dead horses. Four, create training sessions to increase riding ability. Five, Go to conferences featuring industry dead horse leaders. And finally, locate software that promises to make dead horses run better. I think I'm going to quit yakking for a moment and pull up one of our comedy gems, one of our favorites from past programs. And at this point, bring to you the classic Bob and Ray bit titled The Komodo Dragon. Well, we've had from time to time with us uh, experts. We always love to bring them on our programs and shows. Tonight is Dr. Daryl Dexter, the Komodo Dragon expert from uh, Upper Montclair, New Jersey. Say, uh, would you tell us a little bit about the Komodo Dragon, Doctor? Happy to. The Komodo Dragon is the world's largest living lizard. It's a ferocious carnivora found on the steep-sloped island of Komodo in the Lesser Sunda chain of the Indonesian archipelago and the nearby islands of Rinja, Padar and Flores. Where do they come from? <laughs> the Komodo dragon, world's largest living lizard, is found on the island of Komodo in the lesser Sunda chain of the Indonesian archipelago and the nearby islands of Rinja, Padar, and Flores. Now, we have two in this country that were given to us some years ago by the late former premier of Indonesia, Sukarno, and they reside in the National Zoo in Washington. I uh, believe I read somewhere where a foreign potentate gave America some Komodo dragons. Uh, is that true? 
Yes. The former Premier of Indonesia, Sukarno, gifted our country with two Komodo dragons, world's largest living lizards, and they reside at the National Zoo in Washington. Well, now, if uh, we wanted to take the youngsters to see a Komodo dragon, uh, where would we take the youngsters to see a Komodo dragon? If you were in the vicinity of our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., you would take the kiddos to the National Zoo, and there you'd see two live Komodo dragons, the world's largest living lizards. There's a stuffed Komodo dragon in the lobby of the Royal Hotel in Kathmandu, Nepal. Now. They're of the lizard family, aren't they? Yes. They're the world's largest living lizard and a ferocious carnivory. They have red darting tongues which suck in air and take it to their smelling glands and their throats. Now, uh, do they eat other things, these uh, Komodo dragons? Yes, they're ferocious carnivores. In fact, they can gulp down the hindquarters of a deer. In one bite. And uh, what about that smelly tongue they have? No, they have a red tongue which brings in air to their smelling glands. Okay, well, I guess that about exhausts the subject, Doctor. I want to thank you for coming by. I know we all know a good deal more now about the Komodo dragon than we did a few moments ago. Do you have a ride home? No, I don't. Well, maybe somebody here in the audience. Give you a lift after the Very show. kind of them if they Look, would. You stand over there? Yes, that comedy bit is a monument to bad reporting slash interviewing. I do feel a need to say a word or two about some really good reporting I ran into, which was the first year, the first show of the first year of Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknowns. Of Anthony Bourdain's Parts Unknown. He traveled to Myanmar slash Burma and did an excellent job of reporting what he found there. Yours truly had the pleasure of visiting that country many years before Anthony Bourdain got there. It was a bit of a doldrums then. Bourdain showed up when there was a liberalization in the economy, and they were going to basically grant all kinds of rights to people to criticize the government. Unfortunately, that door slammed shut not too long afterward. But I do have to say that um, his reportage was absolutely on the money from what I experienced. They did manage to weave a show around food, but it's, it's so much more than that, and um, he is missed, and his show is missed. Thank God they're still available for viewing. They're most definitely worth a look back, which allows for my crude segue into the Uncle John's Hindsight is 2020 bathroom reader book. This one came out in 2021. In it, they print a, uh, a survey done by the Pew Research Poll that um, related how it is Americans get their news. It's worth looking at this. According to the people at Pew, Americans get their news from social media 18% of the time, from cable TV 16% of the time, from local TV another 16% of the time, and from network TV 13% of the time. So between social media and TV, well, that's how 63% of the population gets their news. 
Yikes. 25% reportedly get their news from news websites and apps, which is encouraging. 8% get get it from radio, which, considering what most right-wing radio is like, may not be such good news. And finally, there's print, as the media from from which Americans get their news, which happens apparently 3% of the time. So if we add up news websites and print media, which I think generally tends to be decent, and radio, which is probably good a third of the time, we're pushing numbers up to 30%, which I think sadly explains a lot. And something else I think we will try to explain here is how different foods got their names. Now, you probably imagine that Philadelphia cream cheese originally came from that city, but you'd be wrong. It turns out that Kraft Foods doesn't make cream cheese in the city of brotherly love and never did. Naming it Philadelphia was a marketing ploy. Back in 1880, New York-based cheesemen Alva Reynolds and William Lawrence teamed up to promote their line of cream cheeses, calling it Philadelphia Cream Cheese. At that time, Philly was America's dairy capital and renowned for its top-quality cheeses. And if you go to Germany and try and order some German chocolate cake, you may run into problems because the story here is that in 1852, American chocolatier Sam German went to work for Baker's Chocolate Company, where he invented a product the company named after him. German, or German's Dark Chocolate, named not for the Bakers, but for the company founder, Dr. James Baker. It wasn't a big seller until the 1950s, when a recipe for German's Chocolate Cake appeared in homemaking magazines. The dessert calls for coconuts, nuts, and the chocolate devised by the man named German, or German, I guess, who was actually born in England. And then there's the Denver omelet. This classic is made with eggs, ham, cheese, diced green peppers, and diced onions. Restaurants in Denver may have appropriated it, but the dish started as a version of the Chinese dish Egg Fu Young, introduced in the U.S. by Chinese rail workers in the late 1800s. That entree consisted of eggs, ham, and whatever vegetables were available. Workers ate it on bread to make it more portable. And American cooks later adapted it into an omelet with toast on the side. And in case you've ever wondered what to do with those silica gel packs that arrive with various products we order, well, first off, it's important that you not eat them. Not eat them? That's correct. Don't eat them. It says right on the label, do not eat. The reason isn't because you'll get silicon poisoning, as some assume. Silica is not digestible and won't break down in your body, but it can irritate your digestive tract reputedly. And if the silica is coated with cobalt chloride, which is toxic, eating it can cause nausea and vomiting. But you can reuse silica gel packets even after they become damp by just laying them out in the sun for a few hours, which is good to know. Reportedly, if you place silica packets in your toolbox, tackle box, gun safety box, or Behind tools hanging on the wall, it'll help prevent rust. I'm skeptical. You can also use silica gel packs to protect your photos, important documents, and scrapbooks, particularly if you live in a humid environment. And it's noted that damage caused by humidity in your attic or garage might be avoided if you throw some silica packets into the storage box. And if clumping of your powdered laundry or dish detergent is a problem, you can apparently prevent that by putting some silicate packets in the box. I must confess, it's never been a huge problem for me. And you know, they have a whole section here titled Bathroom Humor, none of which make the grade, with the solitary exception of one joke. 
which is what's the difference between a shower curtain and toilet paper? To which the rejoinder is, if you don't know, stay the hell out of my bathroom. Anyway, we should close, I think, at this point with a comedy bit that's one of our all-time favorites. This item first appeared in the National Lampoon Radio Hour back in the 1970s and then disappeared due to some, I don't know, some legal reason. But our correspondent, Donald Rose, was able to locate it. Thus, we can present you with the comedy classic, Perry Schreiner, Court-Appointed Attorney. Perry Schreiner, Court-Appointed Lawyer, defending the defenseless, seeking justice for those who can't afford it. This week's case, Between the Long Legs of the Law. Hey, Sanchez, you got a visitor. It's your lawyer. I ain't got no lawyer. Oh, you do now, Sanchez. I'm Perry Schreiner, and I've been appointed by the court to represent you. Yeah, man, I like the way you tuck those pants into those dingoes. Thanks. Right now, Sanchez, I want you to tell me everything that happened. Now, I need every detail, whether you think it's important or not. You see, I can't help you unless you're completely honest with me. Okay, man. Well, you see, I was on my way to set up a free clinic for the kids in the ghetto. And it was about noon, you know? Uh-huh. I'm, I'm walking down the street and I see this chick. She's taking money from all the parking meters, you hmm. know? And, and the other people on the street, they're walking by not doing nothing. They don't want to get involved. But I figure it's my duty as a citizen, so I decide to make a citizen's arrest. So then you confronted her? Well, not exactly, man. I come up behind her and hit her on the head with a garbage can cover. She drops like a sack of potatoes. Then I don't know, man, I guess I turn her on or something, because... Because then she pulled me on top of her and stuck her tongue in my ear and tried to make me do it to her. It's only later I find out she's a cop, because while we're doing it, she plants two bags of heroin in my pocket. So you noticed this woman breaking into and looting parking meters. You attempted to make a citizen's arrest, at which time she forced you to have sexual relations with her. And at the same time, she placed illegal contraband on your person. Is that right? Yeah, that's right, yeah. And, And that's the truth, man. You know, Sanchez, somehow I believe you. Then you'll take my case? You bet I will, Sanchez. This is obviously a trumped-up charge, and we're not going to let them get away with it. Hey, man, look, why don't I plead guilty to a misdemeanor and get... Oh, no, Sanchez, no. Look, I'm handling this case. Guard, now look, if you plead guilty to any crime, you'll never be able to get a civil service job. No, Sanchez, we're going to take this to the Supreme Court if we have to. No longer will the downtrodden innocence of American minorities fall victim to an unjust penal system. I don't know if that's such a good idea, man. Any calls, Stella? No, Perry. Hmm. All right. Look, get Paul Blake on the phone, give him two subway tokens, and see if he can dig up anything on a series of parking meter thefts. Right. Oh, and call Dr. Snouts at Columbia University, see if he can get me some helium balloons. Helium balloons? What for, Perry? I'll tell you later, Stella. Right now, I'm doing court. Call the next case. Julio Sanchez. Right here, Your Honor. Counsel for the defense. Counsel for the defense. He should be here. Who's defending this man? Here, Your Honor. Uh, Perry Schreiner. Sorry, I'm late, Your Honor. Uh, I overslept. I think it was the problem with my alarm clock. I brought the clock in to show you, Your Honor. I had everything set properly. The button was put... Uh, turn uh, turn that thing to, off, Schreiner. Seems to be working now, Your Honor. Uh, it's possible I didn't hear it. I wouldn't want to uh, shut up. You're wasting the court's time. Yeah, well, maybe the court's wasting my time. What did you say? Uh, nothing, Your Honor. Nothing. 
Hey, man, it sounds like that judge hates your guts. Don't worry, Sanchez. I know this judge. He's stern but fair. Clark will read the indictment. Julio Sanchez, you are charged with armed robbery, assault with a deadly weapon, assault with the intent to inflict grievous bodily harm, assaulting an officer of the law, possession of narcotics and dangerous drugs, possession of burglary tools, possession of a toy gun, and forcible rape. How does the spawn of the gutter plead? What did he say? Forget it, Sanchez. It'll help us when we move for a mistrial. I said, how does the greaseball plead? Not guilty, Your Honor. Then the distinguished district attorney will present opening arguments for the prosecution. Your Honor... Now, let's not stand on ceremony. Just call me Bob, Jim. Thanks, Bob. I think you'll recall that when we discussed this case at dinner last night... Oh, uh... yes. Oh, by the way, thank your lovely wife for me. And thank your lovely wife, Louise, for that wonderful cheese assortment. Objection, Bob. Bob! Look, you'll address me in the proper way, Shriner, or I'll cite you for contempt so fast it won't even be funny. Objection overruled. Now, go on, Jim. As I was saying before we were so rudely interrupted by you-know-who, this case is really quite simple, Bob. I have 50 witnesses who will swear they saw the defendant attack and then rape a defenseless meter maid, Miss Rita Tushy, and then try to bribe the arresting officers with two pounds of heroin. I also have a sworn deposition from a Supreme Court justice who happened to be passing by at the time and witnessed the entire brutal sexual attack. I think you'll agree that this case demands prosecution to the fullest extent and the most severe punishment allowed by law. Now, with your permission, I'd like to call my first witness, Mr. Frank Baumgartner. Frank Baumgartner! And so, Bob, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution rests. Order. Order. Now, Mr. Schreiner. Let's hear the arguments for the defense. Thank you, Your Honor. Please recall the alleged rape victim, Miss Rita Tushy. Miss Rita Tushy! Miss Tushy, remember that you're still under oath. Now, Rita, or should I call you Fast Rita? I object. The witness's nickname is totally irrelevant. Uh, Your Honor, may I remind my learned colleague that relevance is in the eye of the beholder. Yes, but the counselor for the defense, of course, knows that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. Uh, I know that, of course, but the road of truth has many twists and turns. That depends on who's driving, Mr. Schreiner. So far, your whole case looks like one long detour. Yeah, well, sometimes detours are necessary, Your Honor, in order to see our highway taxes at work. Does he really have to drag us all along with him? Because it looks like Mr. Schreiner's road is still under construction. Oh, yeah? Well, no man is an island, Mr. Prosecutor. Yeah, well, no man's a pizza either. (laughs) Your Honor, may I continue with this witness? Now, wait a second. (laughs) I want to hear that last one again. Clerk, read the district attorney's last statement. He said, yeah, well, no man's a pizza either. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Schreiner. Proceed. All right, Miss Tushy. Now, why do they call you Fast Rita? Well, uh, you see, as a child, I was stricken with polio. The doctor said I would never walk again, but then I went into this physical rehabilitation program, and I, I made such good progress, the doctors nicknamed me Fast Rita. Oh, nothing sexual at You sure it has nothing at all to do with sex, Miss Tushy? Do I have to answer that, Your Honor? Yes, dear, I'm afraid you do. Well, you see, as soon as I learned to walk, 
I felt that the only way to thank God was to enter a convent. I lived in the convent till only about six months ago. I've never even been alone with a man. Never been alone with a man, Miss Tushy? Are you quite sure? Make your point, Counselor. My point, Your Honor, is that this woman may have been a cripple and a nun, but she's still a woman and she loves it. Oh. Come on, you love it, don't you? You no. all love it. Objection. No. I love it, Your Honor. Show me a broad that doesn't want a big... Objection. No. Objection. Schreiner, drop this line of questioning immediately. Well... Maybe I can rephrase it, Your Honor. You're not rephrasing anything. Now drop this line of questioning and get your hands off the witness, or I'll have you put in restraints. Ah, uh, the witness is excused. There, there, dear. It's all right. It's all over. Shriner, are you finished? Uh, not yet, Your Honor. All right, boys, bring them in. All right, men, empty those sacks right there on the judge's bench. That's what it. is this, Shriner? Uh, Your Honor, these are signed letters and depositions from thousands of people who were in Manhattan at the time of the alleged rape who did not see or even hear of this crime being committed. Now, who are we going to believe, Your Honor? The handful of people who claim that they saw this crime or the thousands, perhaps millions, who did not? Objection. I'll handle this, Jim. Shriner, that is inane, you moron. Now, we're going to take a 15-minute recess while Mr. Schreiner picks up every last one of those letters. Mm. Uh, all of them, Your Honor? All of them. Can my client help me? No, he can't. Now, you brought them in here. You picked them up. Hey, man. You missed a couple of letters in the corner over there. Yeah, well, I'm not going to pick them up, Sanchez. Let the judge pick them up. What'd you say over there, Schreiner? Uh, nothing, Your Honor, nothing. All right, court will now come to order. Uh, Your Honor, with the court's permission, I'd like to call my client, Julio Sanchez, to the stand. Julio no. Sanchez! No, man, that prosecutor will kill me. Just trust me, Sanchez. <laughs> now, Julio, I want you to look the jury right in the eye and tell them truthfully whether or not you committed this crime. I refuse to answer on the grounds that it may incriminate me. I just answer the question, Sanchez. Uh, have you ever at any time in your life committed the act of rape? I refuse to answer on the grounds Just deny it, will you please? Have you ever trafficked in dangerous drugs? I refuse to answer on the grounds that may tend to incriminate me. Sanchez, just say no. I'm perjuring myself, man. Shh. Uh, well, as you can see, Your Honor, my client is so obviously innocent, he won't dignify these questions with an answer. The defense rests. It's about time. Now, let's have the summaries and let's have them quick. Your Honor, I'd like to refer to the fabled story of Pinocchio you recall that in the story, the wooden puppet's nose happens to grow whenever And so, Your Honor, after what we've seen here this afternoon, I think that the defendant's nose would have to be a thousand miles long. What happens now, man? Well, now the judge sends the jury out to deliberate. How long is that going to take? Well, it... The longest deliberation on record was 27 days. The jury will now retire for deliberation. I don't think that'll be necessary, Your Honor. We, the jury, find the defendant guilty on all counts. You sure you wouldn't like a few minutes to think about it? No, uh, no, I think I'm speaking for everyone when I say guilty as sin. Hey, man, I don't want to go to jail. Don't worry, Sanchez, you're not going to jail. Your Honor, before you sentence my client, I would like to argue for the record that by its very nature, imprisonment constitutes cruel and unusual punishment. By its nature, huh? Well, I'll show you cruel and unusual punishment, Shriner. Bailiff, flog the defendant. Yeah, now, come on, man. Hey, come on, man. 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 Come on, man
You know, Julio, I'm sorry the appeal didn't work out. Hey, Shriner, you got a cigarette? Ready! Yeah, sure, I'll just step over here and get one for you. Hey! Is the all right? Hey, wait a minute, man! Well, Perry, you can't win them all. Yeah, I guess you're right, Stella. I sure was surprised, though, when the judge sentenced him to the firing squad. Well, I guess I blew it during the appeal when I let it slip that Sanchez deserted his army unit under fire and killed his commanding officer with a garbage can cover. Well, Stella, how about a sandwich and a cup of coffee? Great. By the way, Perry, why did you send Paul Blake for those helium balloons? Oh, well, those were for Julio's acquittal party. But save them. We just may win one yet. Oh. Wait, I'll get it. Perry Schreiner, court-appointed lawyer. That about does it. We two are guilty, in this case, of being out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. And we'll see you next week. Coincidental with the KDBS annual pledge drive. We'll see you then. Trace